Because even J.K. Rowling gets unfollowed on Twitter. By who? This is MuggleCast episode 249 for February 12th, 2012. This week's episode of MuggleCast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast. Welcome everyone to MuggleCast episode 249. Micah, Eric, and I are here this week and also on the show, first time in a long time, Mikey B. Hi everybody. Hailing from Kentucky, America. What, what is that <laughs> voice, Andrew? North America. I don't know. It was, it was what you were doing. Is that what I did? Okay. Kind of. I don't know. Anyway, good to hear from you, Mike. I know. How's life out there? It, living the married life? Yeah, living the married life. It's a little bit different than what I was used to uh, out in California, but it's fun. You know, it's uh, colder out here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You ain't in California no more. I know. <laughs> but he's got uh, California well, weather. Oh, I did for a while, but now it's like... 24 degrees. I'm freezing. I know. Mikey, what is that? I know. You're in Chicago. Exactly. Chicago's the same way. You're only five hours from me, so I know. Yeah, that's that's cool. Well, we have some lots of interesting news to get through. Thanks to Dan Radcliffe and this Woman in Black publicity tour. Uh, That's, of course, his new horror film, and he's been going all over the United States and United Kingdom promoting it, probably other other countries as well. And, you know, now that he's done Harry Potter, he sort of is like... You know, speaking more off the cuff, I feel like these <laughs> he's, interviews he's, have been insane. Yeah. Like every new interview, there's something else to be talking about that, you know, is like surprising or shocking. Yeah. So go ahead, Micah. Lead us through it, please. Well, like the first always. piece of news that we have here was uh, Dan Radcliffe discussing Twilight as a potential threat to Potter. And uh, he also went into which series he believed was more sexually aggressive. And uh, this just goes to what you were talking about before, Andrew. It seems like he's opening up a bit more. Uh, he has freedom of speech now, whereas maybe Warner Brothers uh, put a little bit of a lid on him uh, through all of these films. And uh, it's interesting. He told, uh, I guess, a magazine in London that uh, there was never really any kind of competition between Potter and Twilight and... You know, I, I kind of agree with him though, because I think you have to have, you know, two things uh, that are on equal footing to be competitive. Isn't that right? Yeah, and it was funny because he kind of t- called, you know, the whole comparison between, you know, Harry Potter versus Twilight, that whole versus concept in the first place, just odd for people to be doing that. Um, and then, you know, addressing the sexual aggressiveness of things, I think he was more referring to the content of the books, but still, still very funny. It's always here, interesting to hear Dan, who's so, of course, attached to Harry Potter, talk about other fandoms. Well, I like that he said he was a uh, team, uh, Edward because he's friends with Robert Pattinson. So <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, that's, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're, you know, they're two book series. That's the common thread between the two of them. Yeah. You really can't compare it. 
I mean, there's no point in comparing. And people like to say, oh, one's better than the other. But, of course, uh, listeners of this podcast will probably say Harry Potter is better. But it's just it's just silly, you know? It, it, it's all entertainment. It's all the same trip. Yeah, you know, it's one's got wizards, one's got vampires. Um, they, they, again, sparkly vampires. Sparkly, you're right, you're right. You know, I can't. The only thing I can compare is Wizards of Waverly Place had wizards and vampires. So that might be the common thread between the two of them. <laughs> I watch a lot of Disney mm. Channel. You guys know that, so... I, I had well, to bring that in. <laughs> wasn't it? Uh, I saw a graphic recently uh, saying that Disney created a better love story in seven minutes with Up than uh, Twilight did Twilight an entire did series. Yeah. Well, not a whole <laughs> lot of things can top Up that that seven. That was first an awesome seven minutes. Movie. Yeah, Up was phenomenal. Really. So. Anyway, what other shocking statements did Radcliffe make? Well, he also said that Potter Oscar snub was snobbery. So he's really laying it all out there, and uh, he went on to say, I don't think the Oscars like commercial films or kids' films, unless they're directed by Martin Scorsese. I was watching Hugo the other day and going, why is this nominated and we're not? I was slightly <laughs> miffed. There's a certain amount of snobbery. Uh, it's so funny <laughs> to me that he would, he, would, he would put down Hugo, which has gotten very, very, very good reviews. I haven't seen it, but... I've heard good things. Did it top Deathly Hallows Part 2 97% on Rotten Tomatoes? 96%. 96. Look at that. Well, I think, I I haven't seen Hugo. I I do want to, but I I think what people are, people are misreading that quote, you know, where he says, why is this nominated? He says, why is this nominated and we are not? You know, it's it's, it's kind of the second half of that. Oh, that's true. That's more important because I think what he's saying is that Hugo and Potter are very similar, which, Based on the, uh, you know, what I read about Hugo, it's not. But when I first saw the trailer for Hugo, it looked exactly like a Harry Potter film. Yeah, it did have that feeling. Uh, and maybe what he also meant was that there, up to 10 films could have been nominated for Best Picture, and only nine were nominated. That was the most so. shocking thing. We didn't even cover that because before, you know, on our last show, it hadn't, the announcements hadn't come yet. It was like the day before the announcements. Yeah. Yeah. So nine categories for be- or nine nominees for best movie this mm-hmm. year instead when, of the when he says Potter. commercial films though is he referring to Potter or when he says kids films is he referring to Potter because I wouldn't consider at least the latter half of the Potter films to be kids films. Yeah. Well, you wouldn't, but would critics? It's a children's story, you know. I, I would say that's what he can consider it. At the same time, like I think commercial films, like when you look at all the films that are best picture, none of them made nearly what Harry Potter did, you know. But again, it's you know it's a huge franchise. So, well, we'll discuss the Oscars more in a little bit. We have a main discussion on. This, I know. So yeah. I'm excited. I'm, ex- I'm excited. Before we continue with today's news, we'd like to remind everybody that this week's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of MuggleCast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their great service. One audiobook to consider is The Red Pyramid, The Cain Chronicles, Book One, by Rick Riordan. You probably know Rick because of his great series, Percy Jackson and the Olympians. But this is an entirely new series. One Audible listener said it is a marvelous listen. 
The book follows Egyptian gods that are on the loose and at the heart of the story, a brother and sister. Faster paced than the Jackson series in some regards, this one excels from two excellent voice actors, each playing one of the main characters. Although targeted for early teens, it is still an adventure any lover of the genre will enjoy. And we know all MuggleCast listeners love this genre. So, for a free audiobook such as The Red Pyramid, visit audiblepodcast.com slash MuggleCast. That's audiblepodcast.com slash MuggleCast. Well, one of the other things that uh, Dan was asked about was, if the Potter films were to be remade, what character would he want to play? And uh, not surprisingly, he said he'd want to play James Potter. Not a very exciting choice. (laughs) No, but he, you know, he selected it for that reason. It's because it wouldn't require much work of him. See, if I, if he was going to come back to Harry Potter films, they were making him. I'd want him to play Hagrid. <laughs> I think it would I'd be fun. I, I think it would stature. be fun. But see, come on, they can do amazing things in Pose. Like, come on, wouldn't Dan Radcliffe being Hagrid just be fun for fans? Not, not as not as cool as it would to see him as Snape. Mm. Uh, but see, Hagrid is just a lovable character. Snape, I, I still, I still have a hard time loving Snape. No, me too. Which is why it would be like really cool if he were like this dark. I don't know, maybe in like fifteen, twenty-five years, something like that. Maybe we'll see. Yeah, it, it's interesting though because uh, I wonder how the the people who are behind the Woman in Black feel about the fact that Dan Radcliffe is is you know, putting out all of this material related to Potter when he should be promoting that film, or do you guys think that it kind of lends to the promotion of the film anyway? Because he, he's saying some pretty interesting stuff here that we've never heard before. It's lending to you the know, film. He, yeah, he's showing he's showing up at the places. Like, when, whenever they talk about promoting a film, it just means, like, appearing in interviews, you know? And when they get introduced, like, on Letterman, you know, oh, you know, appearing to, to talk about his new, you know, film, Woman in Black, is Dan Radcliffe. But then when you get to the interview part, they can talk about anything. Yeah. And it doesn't really matter. And, and people they're, they're, know what they want. But people people want to hear talk about Potter. And, and at the same time, you know, it's Dan Radcliffe. He is Harry Potter. So here's mm-hmm. what happens is if they can bring in a quarter of the Harry Potter fandom into see Woman in Black, that movie does well. So, yeah. so it, they're, they're milk, you know, it's kind of like taking the best things that Dan Radcliffe did and Plus, put it in this film. So it's like, Hey, come on, let's get him in here. How often, guys, how often do you think he gets asked? Oh, are you sad? Harry Potter's over. Or how often do you think, you know, if you had to divide the, uh, questions that people ask Dan Radcliffe these days, how many do you think have to do with Harry Potter and how many do you think don't? So I think just in general, there's this, uh, there's people still want to talk about it. And he's, I think he's being forced to kind of, you know, but, but, but he knows it's good though because if he does say these surprising, interesting things, then it, it makes for a good headline. Then people read the article, and then at the end they see Dan Radcliffe is in the Woman in Black in theaters now. It, yeah, I like he's exactly definitely it. able to. Yeah, he's definitely able to open up about Potter now a little bit more. That's you know, it's been some time. Which is good. Um, yeah, it's always a good thing. And then, like a little side note to that story, he also said he would be Harry Potter again. So he's kind of, <laughs> kind of con- contradicting himself. Um, and that the, I would play Harry Potter again comment came out before the James Potter comment. Well, so. you know, it's just headline of the day, whatever fits with uh, how he's feeling, I guess. Yeah. But it makes you think like what, I mean, is he saying that because he knows he has some theme park work coming up or what? <laughs> <laughs> Get your Maybe. picture taken with the real Harry Potter. <laughs> Book nine. Oh, no. I mean, I don't mean that. I mean, like, new video stuff for the upcoming theme park expansion or whatever. Gosh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder, huh? 
So maybe he's just playing to save. You know, if he said, "I will never play Harry Potter again," that probably wouldn't go well when <laughs> we knew he had to go film. Well, it's interesting you stuff. say that, Andrew, because there was a oh, time why? he thought about never playing Harry Potter again. Gasp. Mm. Yes. Uh, he told the man. He just really can't make up his mind, can he? <laughs> <laughs> he told the fan carpet that quote. There was a time after the third film when I thought about quitting. It was only for a second, but I thought if I do the fourth, I'll have to do them all, and that seemed quite daunting. If I was going to leave, that would have been the perfect time because it would have given whoever came in to play Harry enough films to establish himself properly. It wouldn't have totally dumped him in the shitter. I guess is what he meant to say. Uh, but then I started thinking, oh, am I allowed to say that? Yeah, whatever. Okay. Uh, what other good parts are there for 15-year-olds? None. Yeah, and, 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 but, and my, my feeling on this is, okay, he considered it. Let's say he actually decided, yeah, I'm gonna leave Harry Potter. First of all, very stupid decision. Second of all, WB wouldn't have let him go. They would have just kept throwing money at him until there was an offer that he would have accepted. I, you can't get rid of your lead character halfway through the series. I, mean, I feel like, but we had heard those news stories. Even we, were, you know, we reported on those stories even during the, you know, the first days of MuggleCast. There was, wasn't it like for movie five or movie six? We weren't even sure because they didn't have contracts. Yeah, they was, never had contracts all the way through. Uh, up until movie five. Up until movie and, five. Yeah, and then I remember there was a big press release about how Warner Brothers signs the trio on for all the remaining Harry Potter films. Right. So it was up like until a cyber movie release. five. Yeah, I remember that being a big deal. So it's it was interesting to me reading this story because Dan said as early as you know before movie four he considered or at least you know was thought you know it came to his head about possibly leaving. So that's interesting. Yep. And uh, another piece of uh, information that uh, came out probably uh, a couple of months ago was that Dan Radcliffe had a tr- pretty bad drinking problem. Uh, but what we found out more recently was that he was drunk, uh, you know, night before going into film Harry Potter. Uh, so, I mean, this is something that is dicey to talk about. You know, it's it kind of falls under that tabloid label almost but yeah, i guess yeah, it's this, still news this story is this story upsets me this is the one where i'm like okay dan talking about this is not going to serve any good purpose like it's not going to help you to talk about you know hey go back and view all these movies i'm going to point out scenes where i'm dead in the eyes and that's because i had been drinking the night before and was still drinking or still drunk when i when i arrived on set okay that 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 to me hurts the film and it hurts his um you know how people view him uh on one hand well, it's good that he's being open about it yeah but he's not it's afraid also to talk saying, about it he's not afraid to talk about it okay but like what was the context i guess is what i'm asking well the information was revealed like i said months ago where he was very public about the fact that he had a drinking problem and he said it, it was due to his addictive personality. And he felt that this is something that would have happened whether or not he was a part of the films uh, from the beginning. And so, I, I don't know. I mean, I just think that it's something that he had to combat in his life. And if anything, it's, you know, kind of him showing that he's overcome this drinking addiction. Yeah. You know, although I will say that uh, I think the interviewer, like I'm looking at right now, you know, the, the, in context, it's really the person that's kind of baiting him at it. It says, you know, you're only 22. Don't most people in their early twenties drink too much? And he's like, 
And then he goes on and said, it was, it's because of his addictive personality. So he admits he was at fault here. Um, but then he also says he can honestly say he never drank at work on Harry Potter. So he didn't drink while doing, you know, doing Harry Potter, but he went to work still drunk. I mean, he had drunk the night before, you know, and that's being honest. You know, he's not trying to say that, you know, I had a drinking problem, but I can honestly say at work, I try to stay as professional. And then they go, you mean Harry Potter had a hangover? And he's like, yeah, you know, if he went to work drunk, he knows where he was. Probably, you know, I dare someone to point to certain scenes and say that that's when he was drunk. You know, he might see it, but it's because this is a hard, this was a hard time for him. You know, it's like anyone dealing with addiction. So I think, th- I think that's being taken out of context and, you know, it, it's, it it's, it's good. It's a good tagline. You know, Harry Potter was drunk at work, you know? Yeah. Uh, okay. I, 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 I misread this. Yeah. Mikey, that's a, okay. I see it now. And I, you know, having read the interview now or the, you know, the part of it that's quoted from Heat World, um, now I see it. And, and, and you're right. I think the fact that he can see those scenes doesn't mean that anybody else can. It just means that that kind of thing, it'll always be there kind of. To haunt you him. Know, it's going to haunt him. To haunt him, him yeah. in a way, yeah. Um, and it's good that he feels confident enough, too, to speak about it now. That's the other thing. Like, he's not particularly ashamed by it because he has moved past it. And, you know, he accepted that time of his life. But very interesting. And <laughs> this is going to sound kind of bad, but um, I, I was considering, like... Because <laughs> he says in the interview, he can point out scenes where he looks dead in the eyes. And I was thinking of, like... Watching Half Blood Prince and making a list like the top ten scenes, Dan Radcliffe is definitely <laughs> drunk or hungover in. <laughs> yeah, but then that would have been a bad taste. <laughs> yeah, well, it would have been, but 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 I think too. Like the thing is, I don't think it was that obvious, you know. Like if no, we, me neither. Yeah, yeah. I, but know, if we go back and look, of course, then well, yeah, we it's might hindsight. See you know, in hindsight, you can see things. And now that you know, I know this. I might be watching, you know, Deathly Hollows Part Two again and rewatching Half Blood Prince or Half Blood Prince. Prince. Sorry. I'm where it's at but going back and looking for specific stuff like this but you know what am i really going to notice it probably not yeah i think it's probably one of those things where you know yourself so well you can tell when you're you know buzzed or whatever but i don't think anybody else like because the other thing is the director like this one the movies went whatever you see on the finished product went through it a hundred other eyes you know and if there was a problem with it if dan was obviously one way or another you know, it wouldn't have made it into the film. If if anything, you know, I think for this right here, you know, he can see it. And I think if anything, we just think that, wow, he was a better actor. He really was sullen from, you know, Dumbledore's death or something like that. You know, if, if <laughs> the any, bags under his yeah, eyes the bags are under real, his eyes are real, but well. we, thought, we thought it just, wow, they did great makeup on it. You no, know? that's... Some, um, somebody left this comment on Hypable, and I think that's a, this about sums it up. She said, so that's how he did the Felix Felisa scenes. <laughs> wow. which are the best scenes in any of the movies from Caitlin. <laughs> but I think th- it's interesting that you, we expected all of these kids really to go through the series without having any sort of blemish on them. And, and really we talked about how insulated they were and how they grew up, um, you know, really out of the spotlight and kind of maintained those images over time. And now we see a story like this, but I mean, I don't think it should shock anybody, right? I mean, no. this kind of well, stuff happens all the time. It's just magnified by the fact that he played Harry Potter. Well, I mean, if anything, if anybody was lashing out in rebellion, it was Emma Watson when she cut off all her hair. You know, finally, gotta, you know, I'm free. That was like 
that was what that said. So, but you're right, Micah. We've and we've always thought about wow, all these kids have really grown up well, and they all really did. And Dan Radcliffe obviously did grow up really well, and he's a great guy and professionally has a great career ahead of him. Uh, but you know, you never know what's happening behind the scenes sometimes. And but that's, that's you know, it's everyone's look. You know, Dan Radcliffe and the trio themselves are kind of put under a microscope because of who they are. But it's the same with anything else. Like look at Disney, anything that happens in their parks. You know, uh, Apple, they're huge now, and so everything that they do goes in. You know, it goes everywhere. So like big companies, actors, you know, you see it all the time. You know, TMZ makes a living out of this type of stuff. So. It, oh, I, yeah. I don't know that TMZ does anybody I care about. <laughs> I think now would be a good time to ask, have you guys seen The Woman in Black? Did you guys all see it? No. 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 <laughs> no. What? Did you, Eric? What? <laughs> Honestly, I'm not that into horror films, and I'm not going to be like following Dan Radcliffe through every film that he does. So Okay. You know, I, you know <laughs> what? Actually, did you like yeah. it, Eric? Yeah, I saw it. See, I, see the thing <laughs> is, like I want to see it. but my, Yeah, it was good. Yeah. My, it was, um, yeah, it was good. Yeah. Oh. Well said. That's good. What else? Uh, well, speaking of that, there's a related story. Well, not really related, but I hear somebody else is going to be in a horror film too, huh, Micah? I am? Really? <laughs> no. no uh, <laughs> Emma Watson. Oh, really? Goat Knight. Goat Knight. Goat Knight? Is that what you said? <laughs> the goats in black. According to uh, Bloody Disgusting, I've never heard of them before. Are they They're like a horror the- site. Oh, well, that makes sense. Uh, They're they're reporting that uh, Emma Watson may be up for a lead role in uh, an upcoming uh, horror film entitled uh, Christy. Sorry, I couldn't find the title. Just Christy. And what's interesting about it is that, yeah, and it takes place on a school campus follows a college co-ed who stays in her dorm during Thanksgiving and is terrorized by four masked assailants on the empty campus. The killers Uh, are up against far more than they bargained for. That means boobies. (laughs) Well, I I just think the reason I kind of think it would be a good role for Emma Watson is because she is in school right now, so it's kind of like this interesting little connection and you know when when she's doing all the press interviews she can be like well i'm in school right now so i thought this was a great role for me i could really get behind it and really get into the scene <laughs> is that your emma watson voice are Andrew? you or a spokesperson no, yeah well i just figure that's what she'll say i went to brown and i'm at oxford now so not your yeah. emma watson voice i don't i don't know that this is uh that this film is in good taste or that it's well i mean it's a horror film so just contemporary horror films i'm over it like it if it's compared to what the strangers but on a college campus like that's a messed up movie that, that's the thing though compare it to what you just saw though compare it to the woman in black which is a real horror film versus you know just cutting people up and i, I don't think they should call it horror i think they should call it slasher slasher yeah exactly the Woman in Black got a 63% on Rotten Tomatoes, by the way. So it's it's a fresh movie by Rotten Tomatoes uh, scoring system, but obviously... I wonder how the woman feels about that. Maybe we could get her on the show. Who? 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 I wonder how the Woman in Black feels about this. Oh. <laughs> oh, you don't you don't want her on the show, but you really, really, really don't. <laughs> I'm, okay, I'm well, afraid to turn around right now. Other <laughs> As long There's as other Emma Watson kids, casting news, too. It's good. As long as you don't have any kids, things are safe. Well, apparently, uh, she is reuniting with uh, director David Yates on a project called Your Voice in My Head. And this is the role that David Yates said a few 
or maybe a couple months ago at this point that, oh, I have something. this great role for Emma. It'd be perfect for her. I really want to work with her again, blah, blah, blah. So this looks like the role. It'll be and that'll be nice for them to work I'm together. Sure, David again. is very happy with your impersonation of him. Yes, <laughs> apologize. Now, no, no. <laughs> Treating former guests on our show such disrespect. I think that's the last All of the right. news. Yeah, that is it for the news. That is it for the news. Okay, thanks, Mike. A great job as usual. No problem. You're 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 a, you're a new superstar. Um. So in light of this. News that we just mentioned earlier, Dan Radcliffe saying who he would like to play in a Potter film, another Potter film, or a remake, I think was the exact question he got. I was wondering, and this leads into our favorite segment, what you got, who you guys would all like to play in a Harry Potter film. I don't think we've ever really asked this question before. We've always, we've asked questions like, what's our favorite character in a Harry Potter film or in a Harry Potter book, but who would you actually want to play? Oh, I know this. I know this. Who, Mikey? Go ahead. Mad-Eye Moody. <laughs> uh, you would fit into that role. I was going to guess that or Hagrid. See, see, the thing is, like, I would love to be Hagrid, but I feel like Ben kind of has always had that. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, But, you know, I, I think it would be fun to be Hagrid because he's such a lovable character. But I think Mad-Eye Moody would be kind of fun because, one, you can play the villain for, like, one movie. And then you can, you know, because, you, ha- you know, it's Mad-Eye Moody. Not really. And then you could be the good guy the next movie. So I think it'd be fun. Or, or Shacklebolt. I think I would like to play Severus Snape because now, now I would never be able to be Alan Rickman or be as good as Alan Rickman, but it seems like such a fun role to play to be the, the bad but secretly good guy. Um, and you know, not, not too much work for filming either. He's not a lead, so that'd be pretty easy. So I, yeah, I would, I would, I would take the role of Snape if I, if I had such a opportunity. <laughs> Micah? Mike and Eric? Um, I'd go with, uh, Lupin. Hmm. Why Lupin? I just, uh, I mean, I've always liked the character in the books. You know, I thought he, there was a great role in Prisoner of Azkaban. He's kind of really the key to Harry's past. Like, the first real insight he gets into Harry's past. And he's the one who really instills in him defense against the dark arts. And, you know, sort of begins him on that path. I don't know. That's just my reasoning. I guess Aberforth would be the ideal choice, right? <laughs> Considering yeah. past episodes of the show, but uh, wow, no, definitely go with uh, definitely go with Lupin. I would. I was gonna say. I was going to say Sirius, but um, I think I'm gonna go with instead a uh, young Tom Riddle, like uh, you know, um, last couple of years of Hogwarts into um, first couple of years post Hogwarts. Uh, you know, the transition into Lord Voldemort, that sort of thing. Because that would be, it's a very dark role, but it's also very, I don't know, it just seems like it would be interesting. I think if they remade the films, the, you know, one of the reasons to, for them to remake the films is to spend a lot more time on the backstory. And they could really make completely different movies if they focused on, you know, just different things that, that the first films didn't. Um, so I think there would be more memories, you know, about Hepzibah Smith and, about um, Murrow be gone, you know, falling in love with Tom Riddle and all that stuff. So I would I would vouch for that role. By the way, my second choice, Professor Trelawney. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you play both? You could give the prophecy and then hear the prophecy at the door and run to double. That'd be cool. Uh, 
Okay, so our main discussion today, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, is the Oscars. This is our last episode before the Academy Awards, which are we'll all February be there, right? 26th. What? Aren't we up for an award? Mugglecast? Yeah. Mug- uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, they're going to be on what? Track. <laughs> ABC, I think, hosted by Billy Crystal. And we, we discussed the Potter nominations a few weeks ago. We had... Um, you know, they were announced January 24th, which was basically a month before the awards themselves. And Potter got four technical nominations, and I'll refresh your memory in case you forgot. They were not, Deathly Hallows Part 2 was nominated for Best Art Direction, Best Visual Effects, Best Makeup. Oh no, three. Three. Not four. That's what I'm like, okay, wait, yeah. wait, wait, where's the fourth one? <laughs> maybe, and maybe I missed picture. it. <laughs> Yay! No, no, uh, not Best Picture. Yeah. Um, so we'll, well, we're not just going to talk about those three because we've talked about that before, but we have a few questions and the discussion is based on this email from a reader, Hunter19 of Rock Spring, Georgia, and the subject line is why Deathly Hallows Part 2 was ignored by the Oscars. He wrote, Hey Mugglecasters, with the release of this year's Oscar nominations, I'm sure you all will be discussing how and why Harry Potter was effectively ignored. As something of a film buff, I've been so far... I've so... I've so far been quite quite dissatisfied with the range of opinions that I've encouraged on MuggleNet in regard to the subject. I think you've been encountered. encountered. <laughs> Enca- what did I encouraged. say? Encouraged. Oh, I can't read today, apparently. I've screwed up three times already. Many fans seem to feel that Harry Potter was robbed of recognition that it rightfully deserved. Personally, I believe that a realistic approach is the best way to get to the bottom of this, and that the aforementioned fans simply aren't being honest with themselves. I'd argue that Deathly Hallows Part 2 never really stood a chance to be nominated in any of the Oscar categories that fans were hoping it would be. It's unfair for people to keep comparing the, these films to Lord of the Rings and saying, but, but, Lord of the Ri- Return of the King won Best Picture, because those films are the very definition of high fantasy and epic filmmaking. Hollywood has tried for decades to make Lord of the Rings, and many felt that it... F- Many felt that it flat out couldn't be done. Don't get me wrong. I love the Harry Potter films as much as the next guy, but there's no denying that the Potter film series as a whole isn't as cohesive and meticulously executed as that of Lord of the Rings. I believe I've gotten slightly off topic. So do I. But still, all of these things are signs of quality that greatly affect the film's Oscar potential. For instance, one must ask themselves questions like, was Deathly Hallows Part Two really the best film of the year? Really? Or... Just how long was Alan Rickman actually in the movie? Barring previous performances of Snape, was his presence in Hollows Part 2 enough to leave an impact equivalent to that of, say, Heath Ledger's 2008 Oscar for Best Supporting Actor as Joker? How about to filmgoers who hadn't read the books? Keeping that in mind, one might ask, does this movie make any god darn sense to somebody who's never picked up a Potter book? In short, yes, the 96% fresh rating that Deathly Hallows Part 2 carries on Rotten Tomatoes does signi- sig- signify that critics found it to be a good film, wonderful summer popcorn fare, and a fitting end to an always above-average series. But it is not, and nor has Harry Potter ever been, Oscar bait. To many of the diehard fans like us, though, Harry Potter has been our childhood. The magic of these films and the world they brought to life is far greater than anything that an Oscar could possibly validate. And that is enough. Smiley. <laughs> well, that, before we get into this, I mean, that's exactly what David Heyman said uh, after the quote-unquote snubs, was that, you know, th- the fan reaction was enough validation for him, you know, because that shows that the 
the films were appreciated by the people that they care the most about. As as nice as it would be, of course, to get an Oscar in some category. Yeah, you know, I, as much as I would love to say, oh, no, Harry Potter really deserved it, and this is X, Y, and Z, Y, you know, when you look at the nominations this year, and when you look at the nominations of Harry Potter in the past, you know, I have the Academy's website pulled up with all the nominations Harry Potter has received over all the films. You know, they got st- the only one they didn't get a nomination in. Let me just make sure I'm counting that right. That's three, five is, uh, Chamber of Secrets, a four, five, and, um, Order of the Phoenix. So there's two films they didn't get any nomination on. But if you look at the history of what films beat them out on, you know, they want, they were in visual effects one, two, three times, including this year. Um, and honestly, as much as I love the visual effects of Harry Potter part two, I don't think it's going to win this year. Um, ma- mainly because the films they're up against this year, um, you know, e- even in, you know, art direction where I think it has a phenomenal art direction, but every year that they've been up, they've lost against films that honestly, Harry Potter, since the first film, the art direction has been kind of set by that film. So it's not like a groundbreaking thing in visual effects this year. They're against Hugo, Planet of the Apes. Like, did any of you guys see that with, um, yeah. Yeah. You know, you know who I'm talking about. Like, it's just, um, oh my gosh. I know Malfoy. What's his name? Tom. Tom Felton. Tom Felton. Jeez. It's like slipping me. And even Transformers, Dark of the Moon, like all those films visually for visual effects. You know, yes, Harry Potter had some great things this year, but nothing groundbreaking. You know, I would say probably, you know, Goblet of Fire had more groundbreaking effects, you know, just the, the reveal of Voldemort and no nose. That was huge visually effects, visual effects wise, but it's all been, I know. I know this doesn't apply to one film, but you can also argue that the Harry Potter films have been pretty groundbreaking on a whole in that the success of them, how long the enti- I mean, the entire cast has stuck around with the entire thing. You know, it, it that for that reason al- alone, I find it. Very I'm, I'm not saying that they don't deserve some type of special achievement or something, because mm-hmm. it is a phenomenal mm-hmm. series, much more so than many other film series out there. Um, well, how, I, I guess I have to ask Mikey too, and I, you know, I wasn't going to think about talking about this, but you know, the year that Lord of the Rings swept and had, was it 11 Academy Awards? I mean, those are the Oscars and Return of the King got them all that year. Well, you, you know, know, here's the thing is I actually pulled up Return of the King and it's, uh, let me find it real quick, but like just to see like what it was against and what it yeah. earned, like, that's what I'm asking. You know, sorry. Right, so return. All right. So. Actually, no, that's not true. Uh, Return of the King won one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Eleven, you're right. Andrew cut out my counting, okay? But like, <laughs> alright, so best picture. Why? Is it, your counting sounded fine. You could, you, it was accurate. <laughs> I was. I, I, I just want to make sure. Alright, so, sorry. So for best picture. And I actually saw every single film in best picture in 2003 when, when Return of the King won. It was Return of the King, Lost in Translation. Don't get me wrong. I love Lost in Translation. It's sitting, actually, I see it on the shelf. It's the silver box right over there. That's uh, Sophia Coppola, right? Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Master and Commander, you know, that, that was interesting. I wasn't, you know, <laughs> a huge fan of it. I went with see with my dad. Mystic River, you know, I like Clint Eastwood, but, you know, it, it, it wasn't bare. I personally thought as a picture as a whole, the epicness that was Return of the King totally beat out Mystic River and Seabiscuit. I really enjoyed Seabiscuit. I live in Kentucky now. You know, so it's one of those things where, yes, I think it was great that it was nominated, but personally, out of that series of films, 
Lord of the Rings Return of the King was a much more epic, well-rounded, best picture, you know, film. Does that make, does that make, like, compared to, like, what do you guys think about that? Lord of the Rings versus what Harry Potter would be up to against this year. And really take Deathly Hollows. Personally, I feel Deathly Hollows Part 2. I never was on the show to kind of talk about it. I enjoyed it. You know, I loved it. It was great. It was a great ending to the series. But it kind of felt like the third, um, Pirates of the Caribbean, where it was all action and kind of just the, it was just the climax of the series. You know, if that, if, the, but, if part one and two were one film, the epicness of that long film with all that stuff in there, I think it would have been better. But the fact they broke it up into two pieces, taking each mean, individual piece. You mean like if it were one five hour film? Yeah. Or even, you know, it's an interesting take. But I mean, to, to answer your question about comparing it to the other films that are nominated this year, I haven't seen enough of these to give you a solid answer. But I think what you're saying about it being the climax lends to the fact that it does deserve a best picture because a a best picture you know story is obviously so important and for this film to wrap up this story the seven part story eight parts but you're looking at an eight part story no each picture for best picture has to be taken as an individual film no i know i that's what i'm saying but i'm i'm saying that deathly alley's part two is wrapping up this entire story Mm -hmm. and you do understand everything going into this film and coming out of it at least i think i I think our reader here would would disagree hunter yeah but 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 then look at the reviews of the film i mean why did it get such good reviews just because Because, there's a lot of action no because it's harry potter it's It's, you know it's it was a phenomenal but it hasn't been it hasn't gotten this kind of review before (sighs) it's a potter film you know i'll tell you this like i love harry potter i don't want anyone to say oh mikey doesn't like it i really do (laughs) i i I feel like i'm just gonna get bashed for it no we believe i feel like he likes it i do i do like it you know i got fox tattooed on my leg i'm a huge harry potter fan (laughs) yes but it's one of those things where as a pitcher in whole like best pitcher like honestly i think the help was probably one of my favorite films this year even more so than harry potter because it's just a really heartfelt touching story and the visuals were beautiful in it best picture has a lot of things it's not just story okay okay so you know? let's let's uh okay so let's let's step it step let's put best picture to the side for okay second. all right let's talk and let's talk about best supporting actor for severus snape and and hunter in his email hunter writes was snape uh barring the previous performances of snape was his presence in hallows part two enough to leave an impact equivalent of Heath Ledger's uh, award-winning joker so that's a good point that that was what hunter said and i actually wanted to bring up uh one of the readers sent uh one of the readers to MuggleNet sent in a long explanation for you know following the oscars snub um where he actually detailed his name is stuart and he wrote in and he said that um actually the four-year consideration campaign that Warner Brothers launched promoted eight candidates for Best Supporting Actor that they wanted the Academy to take a look at for that role. So it was they equally promoted, Warner Brothers apparently equally promoted Robbie Coltrane, Ray Fiennes, Michael Gambon, John Hurt, Matthew Lewis, Gary Oldman, David Thewlis, and Alan Rickman. So I don't know exactly how this works, but essentially it means that they, they, they didn't get fully behind Alan Rickman for a supporting actor. They just threw this whole list of their, you know, best British actors at the Academy to, to review, you know, and then it was the Academy's job to kind of review, okay, does this actor qualify, this actor qualify for the, the best supporting actor not to achieve the nomination. Now, I didn't know that. I thought this was great, some great insight. 
But it means that basically Warner Brothers is at least partially responsible for either confusing the Academy or just uh, trying too hard and, and not really acting in its own best interest. You know, because if you're talking about some of those actors, Robbie Coltrane, even Michael Gammon in the film for 30 seconds, you know, whereas Snape actually has a character arc in the film, you know, and, and so Alan Rickman's performance, you know, should have been the focus there by Warner Brothers to to get that nomination yeah i, I agree no, with I that agree. i was actually i was going to bring up what Stuart said too because it's interesting that the attention was not focused solely on one individual had it been focused on alan rickman maybe there is a better chance that he would have been uh, nominated in that field but you, you know i read i read somewhere recently and i can't find the article and it was nothing related to harry potter or anything it was just how oscars are actually nominated and how there's a laundry list of people and how they get it down to the actual nominations and what the rules are i'm trying to find the article on it but basically it's i'm sure snape was a character and alan rickman was on that list just like warner brothers pushed him but what happened was there's just not enough push behind that one character and when you have Warner Bros. pushing for everybody, you know, it's like they they split their vote, kind of like, uh, you know, the uh, what was it, the Teen Choice Awards when a bunch of actors were up and yeah, the Harry, the tri- and the, all the Harry yeah, Potter yeah, and all the Harry Potter actors mm-hmm. were up for it, and all four of them lost. Why? It's because right. they split the vote between who's your favorite right. Harry Potter actor. <laughs> well, guess what? The person who was not a Harry Potter actor won. Why? Because all her fans voted for her. So it, it's one of those things where, you know. It, it's it's as much politics for some of this stuff as it is when you look at it, but it, it for the most part, you know, none no system is ever perfect. And yes, best supporting actor Snape's story arc in the book was phenomenal, and in the movie it came out really really well, but it wasn't. I don't feel it was enough to be a best supporting because he didn't have enough screen time to be that character. And I think it showed with Warner Brothers pushing so many characters. You know, or so many actors as supporting. It was almost act- like they were grasping at straws. Yeah, they're grasping because they, because like, look at, you know, they, why would you do Michael Gammon as supporting actor in this film? Yeah. Like, like, no, what, what, like, why? Sense. It doesn't make sense. He's got one scene. Yeah, exactly. But, but that it doesn't but, make any sense. I, yeah, I think they shot themselves in the or foot two a little scenes. bit with that. Yeah, and it's but, not, you know, it's just, could it be, could it be that they, is another thing to consider that these people who are nominating actors have to pick only one. So you have to consider: Are all these, these, these us, these theater, these people who are in the industry, do they look at Harry Potter and say that is my favorite film? So I have to nominate this year, uh, Harry Potter in 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 these various categories. I mean, that could have hurt it too, because if the nominations work where the voters only get to select one in each category. I mean, they have to pick Potter as number one. That's very difficult to do. Well, but. The thing is, it was the most popular film of 2011. It was the most successful film of 2011. Is it that hard to say that it should have been nominated? I mean, this, this goes to my question is, are the people who are, you know, in charge of the nomination process out of touch with the public? Because this is the highest grossing film franchise of all time. Clearly, the people who are going to see the films and the people who are nominating the films have a very vast difference of opinion on what's a good film. Well, it's like Avatar was nominated for Best Picture, right? Last year, wasn't it? Um, and it lost to The Hurt Locker. Was that last year or the, the year before? 
Um, it was nominated. Let me find it real quick. Let's yeah, see. but I think it was the, two years ago. Same thing is that Avatar was the highest grossing film, or you know, grossed millions and, and trillions of dollars. You know, it was this huge successful film, and it got nominated for Best Picture. The story was not original. The story was very bland. Yeah. Now the, eff- the effects were great. Now, the effects were were great. Now on Avatar, you know, again they look at a lot of things for Best Picture. Even though, and again, you got to remember, it's not just story is what they're doing. Um, they look at everything and Avatar more so than this Harry Potter did have some amazing groundbreaking things in it. Mainly, I, I do the, agree with you mainly there. the 3D. And, uh, you know, a perfect example, if everyone wants to go back to Lord of the Rings or even Avatar and the groundbreakingness, look at the new Hobbit stuff that's coming out. You know, I can tell you the technology that's going behind it. You know, Peter Jackson bought a ridiculous amount of red digital cinema cameras, and it's so he's shooting at a faster frame rate than what Hollywood does now. He's shooting in pure 3D, which a lot of the films that are in 3D are just post-conversion. Like, he is doing something in Hobbit that has not been done before. Avatar is the closest thing to it, but he's going so far beyond what Avatar did. Like, it's I can tell you, Hobbit is going to win a visual effects award for the Oscars when it comes out. Well, like, well so, so that's the thing is that Potter did get nominated, but all for technical awards. Yeah. And best know, picture. But, but, but when it comes to things like best picture, best supporting actor, when it comes to any of the, the meat and potatoes of the film, the story, <laughs> you know, Harry Potter got snubbed. And, <laughs> yep. Let, well, let's I, talk about that and, for a minute. Yeah. Because it, it, I, arguably it has to do with the story. And I think that this is another question I want to raise. Are book to film adaptations kind of just cursed in this regard? No. I, well, I no. mean, there are, there have been some, but, and, and I'm talking book to film adaptations and also this kind of, um, we've been talking about Lord of the, we've been talking about Lord of the Rings. We've been talking about Lord of the Rings. Come on. No, but if you look at Harry Potter, I mean, a lot of people say, oh, Harry Potter is probably a little too mainstream. The critics tend to ignore it. They just see it as, oh, people love it just because people love well, it. Well, Deathly Hallows too was the film where everybody came together, even critics and said that was good. You know, so yeah. that, there's that. But the other thing I would argue is that there are actually a ton of, I mean, nothing, nothing really is original, like truly, truly original. No movie now, you know, that hits theaters isn't based on a book or, yeah. you know, another work. And that's, that's, that, that truth you know, is scary. I it's, mean, that's, cause I, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say almost all of them. That's a little bit of a it's, stretch. It's very like, difficult. I really would like if you could name some. I mean, it's, well, I would just th- come to mind like Pixar films. Like those are all. They only make one of those every couple of years. Yeah, right? I know, I know, but it's still not. Uh, well, it's, Pixar's it's got the year. Pixar's got the billions of dollars to make it happen. But in other words, I, I think that the the studios. It's very hard to get a film a film greenlit these days that is original as opposed to based off like Water for Elephants. You know, based mm. off of a, yeah. a a book with a built-in audience attached to it. You know. It just and seems people like know it can work. Yeah. The, and, well, and and yeah. I I really liked the Water for Elephants film. Well, you I, know, I, I just want to say this though. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're talking about taking the most successful book series of our time and turning it into the most successful film franchise of all time. So how do you not award David Heyman, who's been there from the beginning as a producer? How do you not award David Barron, who's been there from the beginning as a producer? How do you not award Steve Clovis, who has done all films except Order of the Phoenix, 
that's what bothers me. Well, is the is the BAFTA enough then? You know, the the British uh, well, maybe film institution saying lifetime. The fact that they're not even recognized. I mean, how many times, uh, Mikey, in in when they were nominated, was it for, you know, um, I don't know, is is their best producer aside from best director? I don't know if that's an actual award, but you know, they uh, they do they do special achievement awards. You know, and here's the thing is. I don't want to get into it. I was going to yeah. say, was Steve Clovis ever nominated for an award for <sighs> what for his screenplay? Yeah, give me a second. I'll look it up. Sorry, I didn't mean it. I just... I mean, that that's what I look at, because those are people who have been there. So, you know, aside from the actors, if you're going to say the acting wasn't great throughout, with the exception of Alan Rickman in the final film, okay, we could have that debate. But these guys have been there since the very inception of the film and have brought it to life over 10 years. How do you not acknowledge that? Yeah, well, the Oscars are year to year. I mean, that's the thing about the. Well, then you give them an achievement award. I mean, you give them something that recognizes the work that they've done. No, and that's and that's what I've been saying is like as an individual one. Like I like right now, I have like forty tabs open with everything, so I don't want to misquote any facts or anything. But really, if you look back at what Harry Potter has had nomination wise, and again, you have to look at it as an individual film. You know, when you look at it, they've gone up against films that were really at their time, you know, actually I felt a little bit better. You know, like a for example is for cinematography in 2009, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. You know what it lost to? Avatar. Like how can it compare to that? Like yeah, like, like seriously, like look at what James Cameron did with that film. You know, yeah, and, and it was a know, lot more colorful than the sixth Harry Potter movie. Yeah, and you know, and that's just one example. You know, when you look at Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, which is arguably one of my favorite Potter film still. It's, you know, it was, I thought it was wonderfully shot. It was big and epic. It was, you know, it was the Triwizard Tournament, all these great things. It lost to Memoirs of a Geisha. You know, it's, again, which was beautiful, you know, art, you know, that's an art direction. You know, that was very, you know, very specific thing. So a lot of times. Also when, based on a book. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, also, yeah, I know. Uh, when you look at Harry Potter, uh, Deathly Hollows Part One for visual effects, what did it lose to? Inception. Yes, you know, it was a phenomenal film in the sense of effects, but have you seen Inception? The stuff that, like, I know you guys have. So it, it, it's one of those things where it's been pitted against some really good films. And when you look at, like, what it's up against this year, like, I really want to bring it back to what it's up against this year. Like, a perfect example is makeup that it's up against. It's up against two other films, and I will admit I haven't seen it. But honestly, looking at what the film star and doing a little research, it's up against Albert Knobs and the Iron Lady. Well, the Iron Lady is, uh, what's her name? Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep. As Margaret Thatcher. Haven't had to, got a chance to see it, so I can't say anything on that part. But Albert Knobs is Glenn Close, paint, uh, a plays dude. A dude, passing us a dude. And you know who else won an Oscar for that? Mrs. Doubtfire. Mrs. Doubtfire Uh-oh. won when Robin Williams played a woman. Okay? So like, honestly, for makeup, is Harry Potter gonna beat that? You know, like, it's been up against really good films in these categories. Are you saying Glenn Close as a man is more shocking or, or unbelievable than Warwick Davis as a goblin? 
Oh, I'm not snap. saying unbelievable. See, I'm, oh, I'm saying here's the thing, though. I mean, how could you put down? How could you? I'm not disagreeing with you, Mikey, but I'm saying how could how could these people not vote for Harry Potter when you look at the entire film is extreme amounts of great makeup work? No, no, I agree with you, and it's just it's just one of those things where I think it has. Like I said, it's a lot of politics too. You know, it's it's and the yeah, and, it's, and I think the question is makeup adding to the story. That's important yeah, and as I well, think so. you know, and you got to remember, like again, I don't, I've never seen the other film so i can't say how well it adds to the story or you know different things but again the whole thing is involves around makeup changing you know uh you know the, the character so it's one of those things where i will say i think harry potter has done some phenomenal stuff and i think it should receive some type of special award for being this franchise by actually making all the films you know that that's a huge achievement and I have every single one of the movies myself. You know, it's one of those things where it's definitely done a lot, but when it comes to Oscars, it's been up against some really good stuff and it's hard to say that it got snubbed. It's just, it's just bad luck. You know, it really is. Are the Academy voters. Now I know Mikey's answer this. So Micah, I ask you, are the Academy voters out of touch with the public and what moviegoers are actually going to see? Yeah, I mean, I brought this up a little bit before. I, I, I think that they are, but I think I'll, I also have a slight bias towards the Potter films, and I think that they deserve to be recognized in some capacity, but I just don't understand how, again, you know, we talked about the fact that Potter was the most successful film of 2011. Uh, it has been nominated for three Oscars, so okay. I mean, is that just due, though? I mean, is that enough? And knowing that there's probably not a good chance of them winning any of those three, uh, Mikey just you know pointed out the the facts of of what they're up against, and I I don't know I I just think that, but it's hard because what what would have happened? Let's say Alan Rickman gets nominated for best supporting actor. Let's say Deathly Hallows Part Two is nominated for best picture. Would that have been enough, even if they didn't win? I mean, it's almost like you you have to take a look at the entire series, and that's why I really feel that a, a award acknowledging the series as a whole that I think would I think be more fitting. I agree with you. An award and not nominating, you know, so showing the whole series. Sadly, there's not an award for best series, you know, a, you know, or best eight film saga. Yeah, how many? How, what would be the competition then? Star Wait, Wars, James Bond, Star Wars, Are you, Star well, Wars. No, not eight films. I'm saying eight films. There's, Star Wars is only six. And if you count the special editions, it's nine. So the uh, war uh, would have to be, um, you know, or ten now. We forgot, we forgot about Clone Wars. And, 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 that, that, wasn't, that was not released in theaters, was it? Yes, it was. I went to see it. Oh, I, I dressed up. That. Okay. Okay. And then and and episode then, uh, one and 3D. That's a different film. Yes. Have Mikey, you seen it yet? You, you, play, are you, you want to go up against me with Star Wars? Have you no, seen we don't need to get into this. one in 3D this. yet, Mikey. I, I'm actually going on Tuesday. Anyone? In oh, the- oh, guess what? Guess what? I, I was there Thursday ah. at midnight. Thank you so much. Our, Sounds like our, Eric's our, a bigger our, fan. Our, you know, okay. Eric, I was out of town on, on Thursday. I was working. No, look, okay. hey, that's fine. That's fine. I don't need I'm to know sorry. what you're doing. Well, the I'm good sorry. news is that Star Wars plays everywhere, Mikey, not just in your town. I know. <laughs> <laughs> actually, 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 no, no. Where I was at in Kentucky on Thursday night, it was not playing. And I'm just so I was in a small, like I said, I was all the way on the eastern side of Kentucky, really small area. So, okay. Okay. Well, we're nearing the end of the discussion here. I think one thing we can kind of wrap up on is just final predictions. Will Deathly Hallows Part 2 get anything at the Oscars? 
in two weeks. I think Mikey makes a good point. It's up against a lot of, you know, tough. Great stuff. Well, mm-hmm. I think, you know, I mean, looking again at the, the BAFTAs, you know, there, there have been, you know, out, I think it received most recently, you know, outstanding contribution to British cinema. You know, and that was an award that was that was presented to the producers and was shared among the entire cast. You know, that's that's a great thing, uh, you know, and a great award. And I don't know that the Oscars are the right venue for, for any kind of award like that, um, as much as we'd love to see it. I mean, I'm a little shocked. I, I just, at least having some of the Potter cast as, you know, to be present at the Oscars. I mean, do we know if any of them are even going to be at the Oscars? I mean, not necessarily even to accept an award, but... You don't have to have an award to attend the Oscars, you know, do you? To be to be I think nominated. They still for invite people. I still I think they invite people. I though. feel like, it's seeing, not just sort of like a... seeing the cast as like a presenter, you know, in the past or in the future, would really do well. I think to to alleviate some of the anxiety that I have about this whole thing. You know, um, I, t- talking about them winning, I think if they're going to win one of them, like I really don't think they're going to win makeup. I don't think they're going to win visual effects. I do feel that the strongest chance they have is art direction. And mainly because this is the first time we've seen Hogwarts completely destroyed. That's a completely different art direction than all the previous films. So, so <laughs> it's the opposite art direction, one might say. <laughs> well, but, but, but you got to remember, like, every time it was up for art direction before, it's like, it was all kind of based on the first film. You know, like, they couldn't really do too much. This one, they were able to break from it. They were at war. And war itself is really hard to do. So I think, you know, compare what well, it's up against. Would you say that, 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 that could put them in contention for visual effects, too? Because, I mean, you look at everything that went on there. The, the Dementors, the statues coming to life, the giants. The giants. I, Hogwarts on fire, uh, simple. Honestly. The dragon. Don't forget guys, about there, the there dragon. Were, there were giants. Harry and Voldemort's in, fight. There I'll were t- giants in Deathly Hallows Part 2. I'll tell you this. Yes. Hugo and Planet of the Apes. Don't get me wrong. I think Transformers did an amazing visual effects. You know, I, I saw it and I've looked at ILM's VFX reel for this. Uh, and it's actually making the huge Twitter rounds because it's really amazing. But I think Planet of the Apes and Hugo visually kind of outdo Harry Potter. It, just, just because Planet of the Apes, like bringing Caesar to life, you know, bringing a, the guy who played Gollum to life. Andy Circus. There it is. I can never remember his name, but bringing him to life and seeing the emotion in the ape and at the very end where he just says no like that is just like it's it's the the visual effects there to bring go, that Mikey. character you alive spoiled the film for I'm everybody so- i'm sorry it's the planet of the apes if you've never seen it then you know that's it's an old series it's been around but the fact that that was in you know that was in there it was visually beautiful like i forgot that this was not a real ape the whole time you know i forgot so it, and that's the thing is visual effects are not about you know you know, Avada, Ka- Avada Kedavra, you see the, you know, the green light, right. you know, yes, that looks cool. But, you know, when you look at it, the best visual effects are the effects that you don't realize are visual effects, you know, because that's hard to sell. Like hard to, you know, like trying to make something look real. Like I love Star Wars, but look at the original Harry, the you know, original, uh, Phantom Menace, uh, fa- fa- not the original, but Phantom Menace. And look at Jar Jar Binks. Look at it now. How dated does that character look? Yeah. I mean, all CG has increased tremendous tremendous yeah now. but but the point but the point is like if you can do visual effects and make it not look cg like even then you can tell jar jar pinks was not he was an alien on purpose because they couldn't do hair texture on him 
you know, and I bet you a lot of lot of critics will agree with you on that. They, it should we should not even realize the special effects are here. Everything should appear real, like <laughs> you, you we've been well, drawn that, into the story. Yes, that does make it a little bit more special. I mean, I guess Mikey's right. They, they gave the ape more emotions than James Franco had in that whole film. Yeah, so. and, and that's and that's my point. Is like the visual effects category for Harry Potter. If it wins, I will be stoked because I love Harry Potter. But seriously. I don't think it has a chance. I think the best chance it has is art direction to win something. And I would love for Harry Potter out of all the films to at least win it one Oscar because it, I think it would almost validate me loving the series as much as I do. You know, I think I want Harry Potter to win for me. You know, it, it's one of those things like not just for the people who made it and how awesome eight, mo- we got eight movies out of this series, but the fact that it would validate that yes, it, it's an Oscar worthy franchise. Um, but you know, Micah, do you think any of these have a chance? I mean, I'm, I defer to Mikey because he probably knows better than I do. But <laughs> I, I, no, no, it's true. I mean, he, he th- this is like he lives and breathes this stuff. Um, so, I, I mean, I would think though, if you ever saw the uh, the piece, what was it, the Goblins of Gringotts on the uh, on the Blu-ray? I mean, there was a ton of work that was put into creating these these guys uh, and gals. Um, oh yeah, you know, no. in the bank, and you know, I guess that's part of the reason why they were nominated. Um, you know, let's let's leave the epilogue out of the discussion because I don't think that helps them at all in that category. But <laughs> well, that's that's I, I don't make know. Up. That's make up. I, I, like I said, I'll defer to I'll defer to Mikey. Maybe art direction is is where they have their best shot. I just think though that it's so. To me, at the end of the day, it looks so poor that either this series, yeah, it has a chance to walk away. Let's say right now with three, right? Okay, but the reality is it probably only has a chance of walking away with one, and that this series may have only one or zero Oscars after everything that. Uh, you know, it's done. Has happened. Yeah. You know, so that, that's my that's my take. I think that they should, if they're not doing it this year, which they're probably not, next year they owe it to th- this series because let's face it, this series has also contributed significantly to the industry when it has it has suffered tremendously over the last several years. That's a good you know, point in terms of what it's meant to the box office. And that's not to say that they won't give a Academy Honorary Award to the series. They're that's really, what I think. Wouldn't they have announced that by now? Well, maybe next year. I mean, I think, though, that they oh, should do it yeah. the right way, like the BAFTAs did it. You know, bring back all the directors, bring back the producers, bring back the cast, or however many yeah, you can get, cool. and, and do the right thing. And I really do think the film industry does have to thank the Harry Potter franchise because it has done so much for it in this time when, when movies just don't do well at the box office. There are films like the Harry Potters and the Twilights and soon the Hunger Games and, you know, all these, you know, James Bond, Transformers. There's all these franchises that just do extraordinarily well. And we should appreciate them, darn it. No, I agree. And I would love for them to get that kind of validation of a special achievement award or something. Something because, like, honestly, it is an amazing work to get all eight films done. You know, and it could be, and it could be this. You know, you brought up the thing about a book translation to a movie. You know, it could be one of those things where the book translation to a movie happened too soon before the full impact of the series was felt. You know, it's one of those things where we didn't even know what the end of the series was going to be while the movie started. You know, so it could be something along that line, you know, for an achievement that maybe the book series did translate to a film too soon. I don't know. But I would like them to get something. The one thing 
the one thing I will say is that uh, that I was surprised about was that the score wasn't nominated at all. Yeah, it should have. It really should have. Eric, do you have any final thoughts on this? Uh, go big you red. Get the last word. Go big red. What's that mean? I don't know. Go Harry Potter. Mm. <laughs> or okay. There it is. What? Well. All will be revealed soon, and I'm sure Harry Potter fans will have a lot to say about it, no matter what happens. Um, to wrap up the show today, we have a couple emails. Uh, this first one from is from Sabrina, 22, Rostock, Germany. Hey, MuggleCast, I'm Sabrina from Germany, and 2011 has been a very special year for me because I started listening to MuggleCast. Oh, how nice. You guys are awesome, and I love listening to your show on my way to university. While watching Deathly Hallows Part 2 on Christmas Eve, it was a Christmas present in Germany. We get our presents on Christmas Eve. I was wondering why there was so much snow in the Hogsmeade scene. The trio enters Hogsmeade, and there's snow everywhere. The weird things are, it may snow if it... It is May. It is May. So why would there be snow at that time of the year? And there's no snow in Hogwarts or in any other scene in the movie. I started thinking about the other Hogsmeade scenes in the other movies and realized that there is always snow. We talked about this recently, actually. Um, in the last episode, somebody wrote yeah. in and, and said that there was an answer, but I don't think it was answered. Well, no, I have two answers. It's either one or the other. A, Hogsmeade is at a higher physical elevation than than Hogwarts, oh, so there's going to be more snow. Right. Or B. There's a theme park with Hogsmeade with a lot of snow in it, and they want to connect the two. And I'm serious. They want to connect the two so that when you go to Hogsmeade in the theme park, you know, you see the snow just like you did in the film and vice versa. So, question, I think- question. I, I, it's been a while since I read Deathly Hollows, and I, I remember seeing this. Were there Dementors in the area in Hogsmeade? No. Cat- I, there were Death Eaters. Okay, yeah, so no Death Eaters. Yeah. So, so no, no dementors. Cause I'm like, you know, the Avengers, they'd make it, you know, we saw them in the third film where they go by and things turn to frost. I apologize. Actually, I put the wrong email in here. I, I wanted to put in a response because this was, this was actually, this email was on our last show and people wrote in to respond to this email, basically saying, Andrew, what you pointed out. And I think they quoted JK Rowling or I think it was somebody from the movie saying that Hogsmeade is at a higher elevation, and that's yeah, why that it always sense. snows there. I mean, they're in England, so you know there's a lot of precip- precip- precipitation too. So if it is, if you're if you're higher up and it's going to rain, then it's going to turn to snow. Simple, and the theme park thing. Oh, I, I like a Dementor flies by and turns the whole thing to snow. I like that. That was that was a great that was a great yeah, visual a effect, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it's like we, not Oscar, Oscar worthy, for. not Oscar worthy apparently, but uh, yeah, it's a great uh, special. And, the second email is from Angela22 of Levittown, PA. I've been there quite a lot. On Book Mirror versus Movie Mirror. I'm not sure who else to vent to about this, so here goes. In the books, the small sl- sliver of mirror that Harry ha- has left was part of his own mirror that Sirius gave him. Sirius had another mirror. They supposedly could communicate through the two mirrors. The rest of Harry's is smashed in his trunk. Sirius's mirror should be whole when it sold to Aberforth by Mundungus. In the movie, Harry's small piece of mirror matches with a piece missing from the mirror sold to Aberforth like a puzzle. Makes no sense. Well, the mirror he's looking at, Aberforth's mirror, is the one that's on the wall that Aberforth always looks through. So, I mean, that's the movie explanation. Yeah, because yeah, remember, he never gives him the mirror in the movies. You know, in the book, he gives him the mirror. Sirius gives Harry the mirror. Um, and it also has a big backstory related to Sirius and James Potter. You know, yeah. th- that's the thing is they didn't go into a lot of that backstory in these films. So, you know, so the, the explanation of there being only one mirror 
You know, and it, it, it's it easier works to both tie ways. In. Yeah, it's easier to tie in, and also because um, there's there is a line that made it into the films when they're talking about the Vanishing Covenant, and Dumbledore asks Harry, "I suspect there are a pair somewhere, Tom." You know, but it's not explained, and you know, so we know that two mirrors that are somehow a pair that you could communicate through them that James and Sirius did when they were kids, that kind of thing, but. I guess visually, they were able to explain it visually by, by Harry matching up his piece of the mirror with the rest of the mirror. You, you got the sense that that made them magical, that it, because it was from the same mirror they could use to communicate. That was just like really well communicated, I think, just like visually. They didn't need to spend any time explaining it, but it kind of made sense. Oh, that's why Harry could see Aberforth was because Aberforth was looking into the mirror and that was still part of the mirror. Now, how did you know? Harry get that sliver of mirror? Do we know? He, he, you know, he just pulls it out. Yeah. So, so my point, my point going back to the Oscar thing is that's what Hunter says. He's like, do the movies even make sense for us that haven't read the books? You know, there's lots of little things like that that is there because of how, you know, it was in the book, but they have had to try and tell a story. Exactly. I was going to say, like, let's not forget how many episodes did we sit here and shred the movies apart because of things they left out. Yeah. And I, I like um, the movies, But, I mean, though. their goal, I think their goal in leaving things out was to make each movie stand on its own, though. I mean, do you disagree? No, I agree. Like, they, but, but then that's obviously flawed, because I'm thinking, oh, these films didn't really make sense to anybody who hadn't read the books. So if that's the feeling, then really they failed on both accounts, right? I mean, you know, if these films are being penalized because they don't make sense if you haven't read the books then they're not standalones and they're being penalized because they're only one part of the eight films. You know, is that why Harry Potter hasn't won an Oscar so far is because, Oh, you know, this is only the fourth movie. There's going to be four more. We can't give it an Oscar or what? No, exact. What exactly is the case here? No, I think it's, it's, you know, I'll tell you this. I watched all the Harry Potter films leading up to the release of Deathly Hallows part two with two no three people who had never seen any of the films and who had never read the books and had no intention or how much or how much i tried they were not going to read it but they were willing to watch all the films with me before the movie came out i literally had to pause halfway through starting at prisoner of azkaban only the first two were they able to follow along on their own but starting from prisoner of azkaban i had to pause and explain certain aspects that were not in the movie not in the movie so they can follow along and understand it so and this and this is you know and, and that's just the way these movies were made because yeah that's what we've always had to deal with unfortunately yeah but again when you look at like Return of the King that one it translated really well from the book to the movie but again it also I, had three and a I half hours I, st- I still I still get Gondor and Rohan mixed up I'm sorry I I don't know who that and what's with the dead army I don't get it it's. Uh, and who is he the king you, of? You know, the Return of you know the what's king? something? What you know? What's something that's not dead though? The MuggleCast website. <gasps> Ayo. Ayo. Over at MuggleCast.com, you can get all the information you need about the show. You can also write in to ask Eric and Micah, uh, Mikey, any burning questions you have about Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, or other films. I know. I need, that I, <laughs> don't connect to this podcast. You know, I didn't even talk about Star Wars on this episode. So stop going. No, you did. I, you no, did. it didn't. It just didn't, enough. Ah, oh, all right. It was just right. <laughs> um, you can also. I think we're just about caught up on transcripts. Yeah, we are caught up on transcripts. Yeah, we're, so we're if, about there. There's a couple missing here and there, but uh, everybody. The most recent ones are all there. Yeah, all the most uh, recent episodes are there. Tracy has done a great job leading the transcript team, and uh, you know it, they do a great job. There's 
Yeah, nothing else to say. Them. But I mean, I know it's not easy work. That's how I started out. Uh, so uh, we uh, we tip our hat to them because uh, you know we really appreciate it. And all the listeners who you know can't download the show or hearing impaired or English is not their first language and they can translate it, you know, uh, they really appreciate uh, the transcripts. So great job. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, a couple plugs, all the MuggleCast outlets. We have the iTunes page where you can subscribe and review us. We have our Twitter, which is twitter.com slash MuggleCast. We have Facebook, which is facebook.com slash MuggleCast. Our fan Tumblr is MuggleCast.tumblr.com. And also a plug for another podcast. None of us are on, but I realized I don't think I've really plugged this yet. It's called Glee Chat. And it's, it's a podcast over on Hypeable. And I know some of you guys, quite a few of you are, are, Glee I am fans. I no, am. Are yeah, you yeah. Mikey? I, Mikey? Dude, I watch every. I watch oh. every sub. Every, what aren't you a fan? I know of? that's true. <laughs> that's a better question. <laughs> that, that's um, true. I'm a big fanboy for everything, huh? So just head over to the iTunes store and do a search for Glee Chat. They do a great job with that show, and they record. They they do an episode just like the Game of Thrones show that we talked about on the last episode. After each new episode of Glee, they record a new episode of the podcast. I was going to say uh, they they recorded uh, after every podcast for Glee. They record. One for Game of Thrones, but um, yeah. <laughs> no, I, interesting. I the series are so there. alike; they can actually record them back to back. Yeah, and I actually am going to be on a uh, on a Glee chat episode coming up because I was recently a, a, a convert to Glee. So I have to admit, I was brought over to the dark. I mean, the bright side to the Glee side. The Glee side. Yeah. The yeah. <laughs> and speaking of uh, Game of Thrones, we're recording our first show very soon. So uh, keep an eye out. We'll we'll promote it through the. The MuggleCast uh, website, Twitter. I have a good feeling about that one. That's going to be very good, I think. I agree. All the, all the hosts and the, the content, you know, all that. It's, a good, a, good it's a good show. It's a good show, I think. Uh. So, Andrew, all right, guys. What? we're approaching oh, yes. uh, a landmark episode. What? Next month, episode 250. And we don't want to get everybody's hopes up too much just yet. And and don't start thinking, don't start getting ideas. We don't want people making guesses and getting their hopes up and then being let down. But we are trying to get a important person related to the Harry Potter films onto the next episode. Jamie? To mark- Jamie? <laughs> Jamie? <laughs> Jamie Lawrence. Jamie Lawrence? <laughs> no. To mark the 250th episode, you know, it is a landmark episode. We are working to get somebody on for an interview. It would, it would be a pretty special and interview. And it's not somebody who's been on the show before. We, we can say no. that. And it's not J.K. Rowling. Let's just let's just get. Well, you said point. films. I mean, she's been important to the films, films, but but I want to remind everybody. Plus, I have a feeling case. that pen and paper are her priority at the moment. <laughs> That's true. Wait, what? That's true. I've never heard this news before. <laughs> you got it's, it's the it's the most fascinating news ever. She tweeted Mikey not once but like eight times. Wow. So wow. Yeah. Yeah, I stopped so following we are her working... on Twitter. Video. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of did. Too Mike, a long Mike time is ago. just like when she says something that's not that. Give, well, just let me know. Yeah, I'll follow I mean, her usually again. when she says something, it gets picked up by websites. People will retweet papers yeah. and things yeah. like that. So, um. <laughs> so lots to look forward to. And if maybe we'll announce it, we'll announce it beforehand if we do get it confirmed. We'll probably it's not source questions from, yet, right, so. from the audience. Prior, yeah, to definitely. We'll definitely yeah. do that. The, the Good person questions. might have <laughs> red hair. I don't know. Oh, you really want to drop that? Well, I guess that narrows it down to like thirty people. Does he have a hand-me-down <laughs> robe as well, Micah? All right, so Possibly. you just—so is it a he now? Is that what you're saying? Oh, gosh. maybe. Too many. Is oh, it God. <laughs> I'm not gonna go anywhere near that. You guys say it. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Eric Skull. 
I'm Mike Tannenbaum. And I'm Mikey B. We'll see you next time for episode 250 with maybe a redhead. Goodbye. Bye. I, mean, I, could Bye. Dye, I could dye my hair red. That would get us out of the... Uh... <laughs>